uh, and then read down to verse 11. Paul writes here and he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, recently I was reading an article about uh, one of the uh, UK uh, opposition politicians. I'll just say that that much. Uh, and, uh, and they were commenting about how often now politicians are getting uh, death threats and, and other kinds of, of hate, hate communication. Uh, and, uh, and many of the politicians in Westminster right now uh, have become accustomed to getting anywhere from two to three death threats a week. It's become almost a a casual part of life for a politician in our country. And I'm sure it's not just our country, frankly. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if many of the politicians in the United States uh, regularly got death threats. Uh, And there are politicians in other countries that not only get regular death threats, but they actually get regularly dead. They get killed. Uh, But it really is extraordinary because we like to think of ourselves as an enlightened society. We like to think of ourselves as a mature democracy. We like to think of ourselves as basically good and reasonable people who basically all want the same things and can work together to achieve the same kinds of outcomes. This is how we like to think of ourselves, and I'm sure that this opposition politician would like to think of themselves in the same way, would say the same thing about themselves. But in, uh, I think it may have even been in the same interview with this opposition politician, the politician was asked, well, what do you think then about somebody taking the head of the prime minister and putting it on a pole, uh, and uh, putting it on a pike pole, and, and parading it? you know, in in some of these parades against Westminster politicians. Uh, Obviously, it's not the real head of the prime minister. The last I checked, she still had her head. But, uh, uh, you know, what do you think about that? Are you ready to condemn that? And this politician refused to condemn such a demonstration of hate in the same time, at the same time of complaining about death threats and hate communication. And it's extraordinary that we see that. But if you ever had any kind of question about whether humanity is basically good or basically sinful, all you need to do is look a little bit at social media. Many, many on YouTube and in blogs 
At one point in time, it used to be a pretty open forum for people to comment, but most of the people that I know now have removed the comment feature from anything they do on YouTube or any blogs that they write because most of the communication they get is filled with hate and anger and venom and attack. Twitter has become a vehicle for many people to slander and attack and threaten and use all kinds of abusive language. Facebook has become a vehicle for many people to exult in pride and self-centeredness as well as hate communication and attacking people. And the truth is that the more anonymous any form of communication is, the more likely someone will be to use it to attack, belittle, undermine, criticize, and using foul language and racist language and hate-filled language that if you were standing face-to-face with somebody, you would never even think about using. And it really betrays the true heart of most of humanity. Uh, And this is something, frankly, that's not new. You might think it was invented with Twitter and it came through all these kinds of things, but it really didn't. Uh, I used to, early on in my ministry, I used to do a regular annual survey uh, for the congregation just to find out what they liked, what they didn't like, uh, what they'd like to do, you know, get some of their insights and opinions and things like that. And I quickly, quickly discovered that you should never read an unsigned survey. Because these people that I knew that face-to-face would uh, love me and praise me and we'd hug, uh, that I was at their bedside when they were ill, I had visited them in the hospital, uh, sought to support them and encourage them, that when they had an opportunity to communicate something anonymously, they would say some of the most hateful things you could imagine. And these were Christians. We're not talking about non-Christians here. We're talking about Christians. And what this shows me is that we have lost all sense of righteousness in our society. And it's been losing and it's, the loss has been increasing. It's been there for a long time, but it's been increasing and increasing and increasing this whole sense of righteousness. We don't even really understand what that means anymore. We don't get the concept of it. Because oftentimes what people will do then they will begin to use the law or normal practice to do all kinds of unrighteous things. So a politician on the one hand might complain because they get frequent death threats, but on the other hand, they would defend other people giving death threats and making hate communication under the banner of free speech and freedom of expression. And so people will take and they'll they'll seek to to follow in the letter of the law, but they will then use every means possible to do things that are absolutely hateful. That's why, by the way, we don't allow uh, why rumors and gossip is always wrong. It's never right. It's always sinful. And that's why even as a congregation, we don't allow anonymized communication. Because when we have anonymous communication, some of the real darkness that sometimes is inside of us, even as Christians, 
will start to come to the top. And so we use all kinds of excuse of following the letter of the law to say things that actually are fundamentally unrighteous. I learned many years ago, for example, in, in the uh, people who call themselves Christians, that if anybody ever came up to you and said, I need to speak the truth to you in love, that, it was, that tells you two things. What they're about to say was neither going to be truthful nor loving. And yet, Christians would use verses of the Bible like that to attack, to undermine, to destroy even one another. Now, this is not anything that's actually new. God didn't design things this way, but even in rabbinic Judaism, this is Judaism that emerged after the temple had been destroyed and they could no longer do the sacrifices. Uh, even, and even before that, in rabbinic Judaism, righteousness was defined as following the letter of the law. And if we could follow the letter of the law, then we would be righteous. And even Jesus started to criticize the Pharisees who were the ones who followed the letter of the law and say, you might be following the letter of the law, but what you're doing is not righteous. What you're doing actually just just demonstrates the fact that you're whitewashed tombs, that on the outside you look good, but on the inside you're absolutely filled with death. So what's the answer? Well, obviously you know. uh, it's, It's like one of those children's sermons, you know. Uh, every Sunday the pastor would get up there and say, uh, who, who was it that died on the cross? What? Jesus. Who was it that rose from the dead? Jesus. Who ascended into heaven? Jesus. Who lived a sinless life? Jesus. And then one Sunday he was with the kids and he said, okay kids, uh, what's small, brown, and furry, has a bushy tail, and hides nuts for the winter? And one kid says, well, sounds to me a bit like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. So you, you can get it, you, you gotta get the answer to that. But Paul is talking about this kind of thing in the verses that we read today. Now these verses form part of a larger passage that we started last week and will actually continue on into next week with regard to the Philippians. Uh, and, and as he started out, he said, you know, watch out for the people who want you just to follow all the rules and the regulations and the laws that were laid down by God. They called those people the Judaizers in those days. And, and they were people who said, well, in order to be a real Christian, you got to follow all the rules and the regulations and the precepts. And Paul said, no, 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 we don't have to do that. We are the people of God. We are the covenant people of God. We're worshiping by the Spirit. We're glorying in Christ Jesus. And we're putting no confidence in our flesh, uh, that is, in our, in, in our flesh and bones, as well as that sinful aspect of our humanity. And, he's, and then he goes on and says, now, if anybody has reason to have confidence, I have more. You know, I'm a Jew of Jews. I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like we were supposed to be. I'm a Pharisee. Uh, I have the best education. I'm a Greek citizen. I mean, Paul had everything that a young Jewish guy could actually hope for in that day. He had respect. He had degrees. He had honor. Uh, He had all the qualifications for a super holy man. He had everything that one could want from a religious person. 
And actually, even before he became a Christian, you know, Paul was, would have said that he basically was living a righteous life. That his life was right before God. That he understood what righteousness was uh, and that righteousness was all about following the law of God. You know, he would have said all of these things. But then he goes on and says, you know, but that was absolutely meaningless. And we pick up the text from that point. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Every advantage I had, Paul is saying here, absolutely meant nothing. All the degrees that he would have had, all of the qualifications he would have had, all of the standing in society he would have had, all the respect of his peers he would have had, all the zeal he would have had, the ambition, all of these things that Paul had to his credit. He said, you know, when I looked at it and I realized what it was and I compared it with Jesus, I said, this is worthless. This is loss. In fact, he goes on to say that uh, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. He says, everything in my life, if I took everything that I have, every advantage I have, all the money I have, everything that I have in my life, and I put it on one side, none of it compares just with the the privilege of knowing Jesus as Lord. And he says, not only does it not compare, but knowing Jesus as Lord, having that knowledge of Jesus Christ, that intimate knowledge of Jesus, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about intellectual knowledge here. He's talking about a relational knowledge. He says, compared to the surpassing worth of the relational knowledge of Jesus, every, knowing Jesus is worth far more than everything else in my life. I can stack up everything in my life on this side and knowing Jesus as my Lord is worth more than all of that combined. I count it, I consider it as loss. I consider it as rubbish, as garbage to be thrown out. Now Paul here is not saying, he's not saying that there's no good in that. He's not saying that it's wrong to have a family or it's wrong to have a job or it's wrong to have money or it's wrong to have degrees or it's wrong to have any of those things. But he says compared to all of that stuff, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is far better. It's surpassing worth. For the sake of Jesus, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. Now, that doesn't mean that he's actually lost all things. It means that he just put it all aside. It means that he said, okay, that's there. I don't need it. If I have any of it, that's great. But I don't need it anymore. I just put it aside. And I count it as rubbish for the reason that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What Paul wants is this twofold dynamic of a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. So that we gain Christ, so that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. 
Because Jesus Christ is in us, we have significant security and acceptance. And because we gain Christ, because we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We have a new life, a new promise, a new hope, a new reality is all of ours because of Jesus Christ. And so he says, that's what I want. That's the real gain of life. The really valuable thing about life, the thing that makes all the difference for anything else is to gain Christ and be found in Him. To be in Christ and to have Christ in in Him. That is the real promise of life. That is the real gain of life. That is the thing of surpassing worth, according to Paul. And then he goes on to deal with this issue of righteousness. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul, in that relationship with Jesus, began to know what real righteousness was all about. You see, from the beginning, God did not intend us to define righteousness as adherence to the law. For God, righteousness was always behavior in accordance with His standards, in accordance with the relationship that we have with Him and the relationship then that we are called to for one another. So it wasn't a legal standard of behavior. Righteousness was always a relational standard of behavior whereby we reflect primarily our relationship with God and we reflect that relationship with God as we relate to other people. In other words, if you really know Jesus and Jesus is really the Lord of your life, then the way you treat other people, the way you relate to them will become fundamentally different. And if you really love God through Jesus Christ, you're really focused on Him. You don't need a bunch of laws to follow. All you need to do is be guided by that relationship with God. Know how God's treated you. Know how God's called you to deal with Him. And then start to deal with one another out of that relational reality. So that righteousness was always for God about having a right relationship. A right relationship with God that would lead to a right relationship with other people. But Paul discovered that you can never have this righteousness according to the law. If you're looking to obey the rules of something like Facebook or Twitter or or, or good uh, debate or whatever, you'll always find a way to get around the rules to serve your own purposes. But if you begin to understand that it's about relationship, first with God and second with other people, and living out of that twofold dynamic, then you don't need a bunch of rules and you won't try to get around the rules or you won't try to use the rules for your purpose. What you will do is start to relate to people in a right and proper way that befits the relationship that you have with God in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And how do you get this righteousness? It doesn't come through living according to the law, he says. But, picking up in verse 9, it comes through faith in Christ and the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now there's a twofold dynamic here. This righteousness comes first and foremost to us through faith in Jesus. Jesus. 
We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose bodily from the dead on the third day, and that we put our trust in Jesus to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, and to reconcile us with the Father. And that requires faith. It's a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens to us when we become Christians, when we have faith in Jesus Christ as our leader and our forgiver of sins, as our perfect elder brother, when we have faith in Jesus, what God the Father does is give Jesus' righteousness to us. In other words, through faith in Christ, we come into a right relationship with God our Father. We don't have to be afraid any longer that He's going to be angry with us, that He'll condemn us, that His wrath will come upon us. But instead, we can understand that God is our Father, we can love Him, He loves us, and we come into that relationship so that Christ's perfect life, the way that He lived, His perfect righteousness, because He was always in right relationship with the Father, and always in right relationship with other people, that when we have faith in Jesus, that right relationship is given to us in Jesus Christ. So it's not something you work for. It's not something you put a lot of effort into. It's not something that you get by observing the law. It's something that God gives to us as his free ge- uh, a gift out of His free grace. So He looks at us and says, okay, you will be to me like my son Jesus. I give you His righteousness. I give you the right relationship that Jesus has had with me so that you can have that relationship with me and that you can live in that relationship with other people. And that's the first movement. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the second dynamic. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we get the righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're in right relationship with God. And then we continue to live in that right relationship as we continue to relate to God in faith. As we continue in that relationship, which again is by God's grace, what begins to happen as we focus on God, as we put our faith in God, as we live out of that relationship of faith in God, we become more like God, we become more like Jesus, and we begin to behave more like Jesus. It's always true that you will become like that which you put your faith in. If you put your faith in money, you'll become greedy. If you put your faith in relationships, you'll either become a people pleaser or a manipulator. You will, if you put your faith in government, you'll become a politician. If you put your faith in commerce, you'll become more and more oriented in your life around business and everything then becomes a transaction. If you become, have your faith in God, And Paul is saying here that we will naturally then begin to behave like God would behave. We would naturally live as Jesus would live and have the relationships that Jesus would have. Relationships that are right. 
that are righteous. That's really the source of our righteousness. It's first given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then it's maintained by grace as we continue to walk in faith in God through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, this is the righteousness that I want to have. I want to live in this righteousness. Not a righteousness that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes by faith. Righteousness by faith. Now why is this important to have a righteousness by faith? Paul continues, so that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. We need the righteousness that comes through faith, both given to us through Jesus and maintained by grace through relationship with God through Jesus. We need that so that we can keep knowing God. If you do not have the righteousness, you cannot have a relationship because righteousness is about right relationship. And so often what happens is we don't spend time to know God. We don't spend time to know Jesus. And so we fall out of that relationship and we just start living our lives the way we want to live our lives. And it doesn't matter who we hurt or what what we do. In fact, we don't even think about it. We just do it. Most of the time when I see people like this politician that says two things that seem diametrically opposed to each other, they don't even realize that their life is full of a contradiction. That on the one hand, they're criticizing people for something. That on the other hand, they're doing in in another form themselves. And this is happening all the time because people are not in a right relationship. They want to be, but they think they can be in a right relationship by setting up new rules and following new standards. And that's why standards and rules and things like that are always shifting in our society, not realizing that the only way to have real righteousness in our relationships with people is first and foremost to have righteousness in our relationship with God. And so Paul says, I want to know Jesus, but the only way I can know Jesus is having this twofold righteousness in my life. And not only do I want to know Jesus, but I want to know the power of his resurrection. A lot of times we want power in our lives. We want the power to pray for the sick. We want the power to live for Jesus. We want the power over the demonic. We want power in our lives to make a difference, uh, to live out of that significance that God has given us in Christ Jesus. But the only way that we can have the power of the resurrection is to have the righteousness of relationship. Through Jesus Christ. So he says, I want this righteousness so that I might know Jesus, so that I might know the power of his resurrections, experience the power of his resurrections, and then we get into everybody's favorite here, and may share his sufferings. Why does nobody ever say amen to that kind of stuff, you know? (laughs) Yeah, make me suffer more! Oh, I want to suffer more. I want to experience suffering. No, we don't want that. And God does tell us to pray, lead me not into temptation, which means don't take me through a time of trial. I pray that all the time. I know one day I might die for the Lord, but I always pray, God, don't let me be tortured before I die. You know, I don't mind dying for Jesus. The idea of torture doesn't, you know, make me too excited. Hopefully that won't happen to me. Either one, I mean, I'd be okay. Uh, but, uh, but what is Paul talking about here? 
Share in the sufferings of Jesus. Well, let me give you just one insight here. Jesus' sufferings mattered. I see a lot of people, including Christians, go through a lot of needless suffering. Now, some of that we bring on ourselves by our own sinfulness, our own lack of righteousness and stuff. We, we, we don't have right attitudes toward other people, and, and a lot of that happens. Some of that happens in the world. Some of that happens because suffering is a part of life. But the suffering of Jesus mattered. Everything Jesus suffered counted for something. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 5 even says that Jesus as a son learned obedience by what he suffered. And so Paul is saying that just as Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered, just as Jesus' suffering counted for something, it made a difference. I want my suffering to count for something. I want my suffering to make a difference. And that can only happen through right relationship with God in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can have a certainty that the difficulties and the struggles and the things that we experience are actually counting for something, are actually making a difference. Share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now again, none of us really want to die on the cross. What does this mean, become like him in his death? It means... That even at the point of our weakness, we have victory. The cross looked like it was the point of weakness for Jesus. It looked like the defeat of Jesus. But what the defeat looked like was actually victory. Because even in the cross, Jesus triumphed over the powers and the principalities. So Paul is saying here, I want my suffering to matter. And even at the point of my weakness, I want to know that I've got victory. I want to know that there's going to be a resurrection. I want to know that it's going to make a difference. I want to know that my weakness that looks like weakness to me is not really weakness. It's actually strength. And the only way I can do that is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that by any means possible, I may one day get to the point where I experience fully the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I want to have all of this in my life so that one day I have the confidence that I'm going to be raised from the dead just as Jesus was raised from the dead. And I know that this will be true for me because I'm in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ that leads me to live out of that righteous position. This is what God has called us to. Not the corruption and the brokenness and the foulness that's in the world, but to a righteousness that comes by faith in and through Jesus Christ. And as we live in that, righteous, that right relationship with God through Jesus, as we know God as our loving Father, and we get to know Him more and more and more, and we know Jesus, our elder brother and our Savior and our Lord, more and more, we will become more and more like him. And we will naturally live more and more as he lived to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that we can have the righteousness of Christ through faith. Thank you for, through Jesus, putting us in a right relationship with you. 
in helping us have a right relationship with others. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that there, if there is any way in us where we have been looking to make a righteousness by observing the law, by doing right things, by following rules, either those set down by our society or those set down by our government, or even those set down by other Christians. I pray that you'd expose that in us so that we can turn away from it. And Father, if there's anything in our lives that we have counted as more valuable than knowing you, I pray that you'd expose that in us so that we might turn away from it. And if there's any way that we have not been living in a right relationship with the others around us, then I pray that you'd show that to us. Not only so we could turn away from it, but so that we could know you more in that area and know your righteousness and live in accordance to it. Show us these things as we worship you. Thank you, Lord God, that you are in control of our lives, that you are around us and with us all the time. May our lives reflect the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen.